Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome in to Bet to Win here at the Blue Wire Studios in the Win Las Vegas. I am your host, Joe Fan. Hope you all had a tremendous weekend. I had a wonderful weekend. Got to play golf twice. My Mariners, they keep winning 14 games in a row for my Seattle Mariners. And now it's the All-Star break. Not only is the All-Star break, but our boy Julio Rodriguez, 21-year-old phenom, is in the Home Run Derby on Monday night. And he is in the All-Star game on Tuesday night. It's a good time to be a Mariners fan, which is not something that we can be saying or would something we could say very often over the course of the last two decades. Things have been fun. The, the most wins ever in a row going into an All-Star break. The Seattle Mariners at 14. They get the Astros coming out of the wild early All-Star break, which should be an electric series at T-Mobile Park. So I'm going to continue to be obnoxious and celebratory about the Mariners because I can, because I haven't gotten many opportunities to do so uh, in my lifetime, quite frankly. Um, big show for you today, Rick Gemmon, a.k.a. Rick Run Good, coming on just in a moment uh, to recap the 150th Open Championship at St. Andrews. Heartbreak for Rory McIlroy is his title stolen uh, by Cam Smith, who was absolutely lights out seven under on Sunday, the final round, to hold the Claret Jug at the end of the day. A uh, quick victory lap to take. I've won two in a row. Back to 500 here for the month of July. Brewers at Giants. I bet on aces, and the aces came through. That first five under three and a half was a winner, and I will hope to get another winner here at the end of the show. Let's get to our guest. Don't waste any time. Let's bring in Rick Gemmon, founder of rickrungood.com. He's the host of both the 300 Yards to Unknown podcast and the First Cut pod on CBS Sports. Follow him on Twitter at Rick Run Good. Rick, thanks so much for your time. I want to get right into it. 150th Open Championship. We'll get to Rory, but let's start with Cam Smith, who has had an unbelievable year uh, as one of the best golfers now in the world. He goes lights out on Sunday, wins it as minus 20. What do you make of Cam Smith and now his place uh, in terms of the, the hierarchy in golf? It's so fascinating because when you start comparing resumes, I think a lot of guys would take the resume that Camp Smith has, has put together over the last year or two, right? I think Scotty Scheffler very much still our player of the year, but if anybody can kind of make a run here at the end, maybe win the FedEx Cup and steal it away from him, it would be Camp Smith. But I think there is kind of a little bit of a disconnect between what he's been able to accomplish on the golf course and kind of how he's viewed as um, his role in the larger golf ecosystem. I don't think anyone is ever arguing Cam Smith is an elite golfer. He's one of the top five best players in the world. Maybe we should be uh, because he doesn't do anything super sexy, right? He doesn't drive the ball like Rory. He doesn't hit his irons like Justin Thomas or Colin Morikawa. Uh, and he's just got this magical short game that's able to kind of spur him on to some of these massive, massive victories. So there's, there's certainly a disconnect right now in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the season outlook and kind of the way the perception across the industry or by fans is, and they should probably be a lot closer together at this point. He sort of has a little bit of like a Brooks Kepka type attitude of like, I just kind of here to have a good time and kick it and I want to win, but he's not necessarily the super intense dude. His, his post-round championship interviews are always kind of one of the boys kind of guys. I mean, does that sort of help him in terms of connecting with, I don't know, maybe a younger part of the fan base? My mom texted me. It was like, I just want Rory to win because I this guy needs a haircut. Like, that's, a, that's how our parents are going to think about watching Cam Smith play, where I think if you're someone our age or younger, like, this guy is awesome. He's just out there doing his thing. 
And he doesn't really care what anyone has to say about it. Uh, yeah, I don't think the mullet goes over very well with a lot of uh, a lot of moms, probably <laughs> my mom included, in, in that conversation. You know, it, it's so funny. He played uh, the Sony Open earlier this year. He just won the Tournament of Champions. He finished his round. He had an early tee time, and he's just walking across the golf course with his fishing rod in hand because he's going to go to the beach and just start fishing. I mean, that's kind of like the type of laid-back mentality uh, that he has. And it obviously helps him on the golf course, right? To be able to quickly forget, to be able to kind of realize that, hey, this moment's this moment's obviously massive, but I can just kind of relax. I can be calm, cool, and collected. A lot of people thought he played himself out of it on, on Saturday. Then he goes out and, and fires a, a crazy eight under 64 on Sunday to kind of steal this thing away. And yeah, I think he's much more popular amongst like, amongst like the boys, the, the, the younger demographic who enjoy, uh, enjoy watching golf and, and want to know how many beers he's going to drink out of the claret jug. And, and he lives up to, to all that hype. So you have Cam Smith at minus 20. You have Cam Young with an eagle on 18 gets to minus 19. And then it's Rory at minus mm. 18. Really quickly, I want to share a couple of tweets from your colleague at CBS, Kyle Porter, who does a great job. Both of you guys do covering the game of golf. Uh, aggregate major scores of golfers who have made the cut in all four in 2022. Rory leads the pack at minus 29. Only four guys who have made the cut at all four under par. Zalatoris at 21, Fitz, which is also, talk about being a bridesmaid, Rory the ultimate, right. Zalatoris right in his coattails. Uh, Fitzpatrick at minus uh, 16, JT at minus three, and that's it. Everybody else over par. One more. Rory beat or tied 97.5% of golfers he faced across all four majors this year and somehow didn't win a single one of them. We've talked so much this year specifically about Will Zalatoris being on the doorstep of getting his first, but the, the attention now obviously turning back to Rory, given that it's been so long since he's won one, how do you encapsulate what happened to Rory this weekend on a stage where everybody, those who were in attendance and those watching at home, were hoping he would get it done? Yeah, this this is such a an unbelievable conversation to have. I mean, the, the two guys with the best aggregate score in the major championships championships this year have zero majors combined. It's it's sick. It's a cruel game um, for Rory McIlroy, who unfortunately at this point in his career is not graded on top tens, and he's got four of them at the majors this year. It's been an unbelievable year. He's not graded on that. He's graded on not even victories at this point. He's graded on major championship wins. And it is uh, probably a little bit unfair uh, for any type of criticism for Rory McIlroy, just because, you know, we talk about this a lot. He probably won four of his first five cracks in majors, right? Like there's like you get in the mix and they don't always fall your way. And he won like four out of the first five times that he was in the mix. And when you win and rattle off four out of five immediately, expectations are, are going to go to an all-time high. And now he's got... I think it's 17 top tens in major since his last victory. And it's like, how often can he put himself in this scenario? I, I think the good news for Rory, at least on, you know, this past Sunday was he didn't really blow it, right? It wasn't, it wasn't a back nine 40 at Augusta national. Um, he was four shots clear of, of the chase pack tied with Victor Hovland. He hit every green. He made zero bogeys. He shot a two under round of 70. That gets it done a lot of times. And Cam Smith just kind of stole this away from him. But I think the bigger the bigger thing here with Rory McIlroy is we've been trending towards this this win at, at the Open Championship, right? I was with Kyle at Brookline at the U.S. Open a couple of weeks ago, and it's like, yeah, Rory's going to win the Open Championship. It was a foregone conclusion, 
Everybody in the media knew it. Everybody in the world of golf knew it. Every fan knew it. He was playing too good. He was going back to a great spot at the old course. And everything in the world of golf was pointing towards Rory McIlroy winning the Open Championship. And he didn't. And now it's like, man, like where do we go from here? I don't even know. I feel lost. We were supposed to get the grand finale uh, of him hoisting the Claret Jug. And now it's nine months until another major. It's like, it, I'm gutted for him. It's it's tough to swallow. I lost sleep. Imagine the sleep that he lost. Like it, it's it's such a fascinating thing that he again did not get the job done. And anytime you see it, it wasn't like he choked it away, as you mentioned. But anytime you let something like that slip through your fingers, it's the next conversation is how do you move forward from it? And that's something he's going to have to figure out and do as as the weeks and months go on. Um, in that round, you mentioned he didn't necessarily make the big mistake. He obviously couldn't make a putt. Um, but is there anything you would have done differently or hindsight being, do you think whether it's taking an extra driver off the tee or being more aggressive, knowing how hot Cam Smith is, um, or is it someone just come down to his putter didn't cooperate and there's just not a whole lot you can you can do with that? I think it's 90% the putter didn't cooperate, right? Like he, he hits 18 greens. He, um, he, he puts 36 times, like two putts on every single green. It's, it's, it's horrible. Uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting and, and I, I include Victor Hovland, uh, in this conversation as well, because those two guys were four clear of everybody else. And by the time they got on the golf course, uh, the old course was playing two and a half shots under par. It was by far the easiest scoring day of the week, not even remotely close. So, they they should have known or their caddies should have known uh, that that gap, that four shot gap w- was going to go away. And I think it would have been very critical for one of them uh, to, to make an early birdie or two. I think the first birdie came from Rory on four or five. Victor didn't make one, I think, until he made the turn. So it wasn't it wasn't great for Victor either. But to be able to kind of break the seal earlier in the round, I think, was was critical not only settle your nerves, but but kind of build that gap as you know everyone's chasing you down. Because when you get to the final six and that gap is is gone and you've only made a couple of birdies, like it's just it's a completely different conversation that you're having. So I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more aggression out of the gate and try to break the birdie seal a little bit earlier in the round. Cam Young, and not only the top debutante in this open championship, but also finishes second by himself. It's funny to me that he he's one of a few golfers who's sponsored by Major League Baseball. I uh, got the patch on his arm and Major League Baseball is sort of a, it's almost become like a niche sport where it's very regionalized and not many people are telling you I'm a diehard baseball fan. It's too boring. It's this, that, the other, whatever. And they're in sort of this marketing crisis and yet they have this golfer who is insanely talented, but also very understated and not a guy who's really like turning heads with his personality or look or flair or whatever. He's just a damn good golfer. And he continued to show it um, at St. Andrews over the course of these four days. Where are you putting him now? And and when talking about, I'm going to handicap future tournaments, I'm going to look at, okay, who are the the rising stars? I mean, he's gotten to where you'd consider Will Zalatoris is, or maybe, you know, others of that ilk. So not quite yet, but uh, he's got plenty of time. Remember, he's a rookie, and he has basically just solidified his rookie of the year candidacy with that with that solo second at the Open Championship. It would take something crazy uh, for him to not be our, our rookie of the year. And 
while he still has to do it for longer and he's still got to continue to get it in contention, when you look at his game, it it's the modern game, right? He is one of the best drivers of the golf ball. He absolutely mashes it off the tee. And a lot of the guys that do that are generally one-trick ponies. That's the only part of the game that, that they have. Not Cam Young. I, I mean, he is uh, so stout around the greens. He has soft touch, which generally doesn't come with hitting the ball very far. He's a very good putter. And remember, his dad's a PGA pro. He's, he's grown up in the game. And you want to talk about detriment um, and, and, um, and, and the way that his personality uh, probably lends itself well to, to golf temperament. Um, he is just so like his resting heart rate must be, you know, 40. You just cannot get this guy excited about anything, which is generally, uh, something very good in our game. So very excited about his future. I think he's the modern player. He'll eventually win and he'll probably win a lot. What do you make of the tiger farewell on 18 on Friday? It, it to me, it, it, it felt like a bigger moment than it needed to be unless it was really it, but you saw how emotional he was. Um, I think there was hope that a couple months removed from uh, the PGA Championship that he could he could make some noise at St. Andrews, of course, where he's won before and, and has, a, has had a ton of success. He was out there for a couple of weeks beforehand, and he fell flat. It wasn't there. Uh, he shot yeah. plus nine. Um, after you know making the cut again at the Masters and the PGA Championship, all that momentum now gone. Um, is Tiger now, is it more of just you're just happy to see him? Uh, or is there any kind of hope that he couldn't get healthy and at least be relevant um, in terms of making cuts and being a part of these tournaments? Yeah, I think the the moment was, was large. And I think it was rightfully so. It, it was definitely not a goodbye to Tiger to the game or to major championships, but it was goodbye for the old course. I, I mean, this is literally... Um, and Tiger said it himself with the way the Rota comes, comes and goes, there will not be a time where we go back to the old course where Tiger Woods is even remotely competitive. If you want to call him remotely competitive this mm-hmm. week after struggling out of the gate and and never getting it, never getting it in order. So this is literally the last time he's, he's was going to play at the old course. So uh, the moment was rightfully large looking, looking forward. It, it's such a huge question mark, right? Cause the body is not going to allow him to play eight or 10 times a year. Is it going to allow him to play four times a year, five times a year. I guess that's to be determined. And a lot of the venues that we go to, especially for some of these major championships, are not going to be good venues for him. That's why the flatness of the old course was so exciting. That's why he played over 50 practice holes in the in the days leading up to the event because he could, because he could walk it. He couldn't have done that at Augusta National and he couldn't have done it um, at Southern Hills. So I, I think his future and his contention future is very much predicated on what golf course we go to. Uh, Augusta National is always going to be a great spot for him, even though it's a difficult walk. But if he can get a generous open championship venue in the next year or two, I wouldn't be surprised because experience is so uh, is so critical for him to finish like inside the top 20. But I, I believe that's the ceiling and that's kind of the bar that we are expecting from Tiger. It would be uh, another astounding feat if he were actually to win any event moving forward, let alone a major championship. Maybe just the Shriners at TPC Summerlin is where he needs to be next. I think that's probably, it's the only thing that makes sense to me uh, and not just because you and I will be able to go. Might as well get get his last win there, right? Just bookend this whole career in Vegas. (laughs) Exactly, yes. Um, Let's talk just about a couple of other notables I want to go through. Colin Morikawa misses the cut. Big Mm -hmm. deal, no deal, nothing burger, something you're worried about. How do you judge 
when star players miss the cut at big tournaments? Yeah, so I'm slightly worried. I think the I think the one-off miscut is not that big of a deal, but we're now pretty much in like a six-month stretch where Colin hasn't been particularly good. He made a run at the U.S. Open kind of d- despite the odds and, and the fact that he's been unable to play his uh, shot shape of choice, which is that little baby cut that he loves to play. He's been struggling with that. That's generally pretty concerning. I think he also is... One of these guys, when when you win two of your first eight major championships, we are going to heap an incredible amount of expectation on you, and that is probably unfair. Uh, but it comes with it comes with the territory. So, unfortunately, Collins no longer graded on on a curve like like many of his peers. So, I, I think this is um, very disappointing and a little bit concerning for for the the short term moving forward. I think it's it's somewhat therapeutic, and I think every amateur golfer when they're watching guys struggle. <laughs> especially the best in the world, you're sort of like, all right, yeah, it's just like me. But there is something to it because uh, you and I are both competent golfers. We talked about before going live here. Um, You're an eight. I'm like an eight and a half, nine, both capable of playing very good golf, breaking 80 on a good day. But I think we both know there are days you go out there and the swing isn't there. Then you get into long stretches. I mean, I went through two months of having the shanks and trying to get through it, like weeks after shooting a 75 for the first time. And you're thinking, how is this possible? Then you look at Colin Morikawa, and he's such a machine. When he's playing well, you just think it makes it look so easy. And I guess it is a good reminder that they are always having to tinker and work on it. And why can't Colin Morikawa find the shot shape that he wants? It's notable, but I think it is interesting to hear you say that. And it's hard not to just kind of look inward as as golf can be the cruelest game, as you mentioned, and say, yeah, it's just really hard. Um, The thing with that is, you know, like the the tour's too good. You can't have your B plus stuff and win. So even if Colin Morikawa has his B stuff plus, like it's not good enough. So um, I think yeah, that's also speaking of deep the, how deep the game is. Um, Brooks Kepka plus four misses the cut. This isn't new. I don't think anyone expected Brooks to be a factor in this tournament, but he was at the top of the game playing as well as anybody for a couple of years, but it feels like the drop-off has been so drastic. Is it... Is it want to? Is it health with him? Um, because he's been bad for a while now. Um, and I'm curious what you make of that. Yeah, this is arguably one of the most fascinating stories that we have in the game of golf right now. You know, I, I only want to kind of whisper this, but I think he might be washed. Um, and And that's not necessarily all his fault when, again, there, there have been plenty of examples of guys who just go on like 18 month or 24 month stretches and they can never get back to, uh, that level of golf. However, with Brooks, I think it's a lot of it's injury related. You know, there have been plenty of rumors and speculation. And and I think he's kind of alluded to this here recently, that knee, it's like never going to be a hundred percent. And he's going to wake up some days and it's going to feel a lot worse than other days. And it's kind of a crapshoot on how it actually feels. And all of that always impacts practice time and uh, what you're able to put into the golf course. And then what you put into the golf course is what you get out of the golf course. And I think it, it, it kind of parallels nicely with his decision to join live golf and, and kind of cash out and take the check because this guy was a champion, right? Th- this guy is the guy who is the biggest alpha dog who says, when I show up at a major championship, there's only 19 other guys who even have a chance and I'm going to step on all their throats. And now it's like, well, I'll just like I don't know if I even need to play majors anymore. I'll just I'll just take the money and get out of here, which makes me think that 
I think he realizes that it's an uphill battle, that he's always going to be kind of injured. He's not going to really be healthy. And if he can't compete at a level that he wants, he might as well get paid. So I, I think you're you're never going to hear him say that, right? If we gave him truth serum, I think we could get it out of him. But um, that that is my current assessment of the quite bizarre Brooks Kepka situation. I you, you we brought up Liv. It's a great segue, obviously, and I I can't have you on the show and not talk about it a little bit, especially with rumors on Monday morning on the heels of him winning the Open Championship. Rumors that Cam Smith is linked to Liv. It would be a huge blow to the PGA Tour. Just your thoughts on that. And then I'm curious, how have you been covering it? What are your overall thoughts on it? Um, is it something that you want to succeed and think can be good? I, I just want to give you the floor and touch on and touch on where the game of golf is at because it is, to me, in such a tenuous spot. Yeah, for sure. So there's um, this is more than a golf story. It's more than a sports story. There are Certainly. geopolitical con concerns with this. Um, from a from like a thirty thousand foot view, the idea that um, the Saudi government is is buying into golf and buying the best some of the best players in the world or most popular players in the world uh, to come join their their organization is it's it's reprehensible. Uh, where the where the money's coming from, I've got I've got a billion concerns. Um, the idea of competition in golf, I'm fine with. Right. And, and I think I, I've been very critical of the PGA tour where there are a million things that the tour can do to not only improve their product, but to um, make it a little bit fi more financially secure for, for their members and even for the guys that do a lot of their bidding. I, I wish it wasn't live golf, right? I wish it wasn't where a startup could come in and say, Hey, here's $200 million. Come play for us. Could you imagine in the NFL if, if some, government uh, started picking off Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, all of these superstars for outrageous amounts of money. Dividing the game into this league or that league is never a good thing. It's never... like In the history of sport, that has never been a good thing. So I think in general, it's horrible for the sport. Um, I, I hate where the money's coming from. But in this moment in time, like losing Camp Smith would be horrible. Right. I, I mean, the idea that you could lose the the reigning open champion as he just outdoled the face of the PGA Tour is horrible for the PGA Tour. Um, you know, the idea of what's going to happen next for these live guys, we have no idea. But that 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 press conference afterwards, Cam Smith gave such a response that was so reminiscent of what Brooks Kepka said right before he left. It was so reminiscent of, of what Patrick Cantlay said, which there's highly rumored that Patrick Cantlay is going to be on his way. It just is not a great response to give to say, I don't know, my people handle that stuff. So I, I could talk for like nine hours about my thoughts on this, but it, it, it would be it would be pretty horrible for the PGA Tour if, if Cam Smith ends up inking over at, at Liv. I miss DEFCON 5 right now in the PGA yeah. tour offices. What did it, what do they even do? Is there, is there anything they can do? If you're fighting against unlimited pockets and, and pockets that, that have no floor and they just continue to dish out however much money it takes to get Cam Smith or whoever else, the issue that the PGA fights is that, you know, you mentioned Patrick Mahomes. Well, people love the chiefs even more than they love Patrick Mahomes. Well, the issue with golf is people love golfers more than they love the PGA tour. Um, there's specific tournaments, obviously, that have, you know, the ability to pull on heartstrings. But outside of the majors, there's not that many that 
on, on a year to year basis, people are excited for outside of like the waste management open. Even the FedEx Cup playoffs have sort of been uh, a failure to launch from a big national perspective or the casual golf fan. And so what what can they do if their field is being diluted so regularly now? Yeah, so there is not a lot of defense that the PGA Tour has here. You cannot get into an arms race with a, a, a fund that has $600 billion in it and no business plan and no need to be profitable and no need to do anything. The PGA Tour needs a business plan. They need to be profitable. And by the way, they've got like, I don't know, one, not even 1% of that money uh, that, that the, uh, the Saudis have available to them. Um, what I, and also they don't control any of the major championships, which is also the issue, right? Like the biggest events in golf, like the PGA Tour has zero control over. So there's not a lot of defense. Um, but what I thought they should have done is, is they should have been prepared for this, right? We've known this was coming for 18 months and the PGA Tour kind of just kicked the can down the road for a really long time. And all they did was create a $40 million player impact program, which is just a popularity contest to give Tiger $8 million and Phil Mickelson $6 million. And half the guys that won money in that uh, went to live golf anyway. It's just a horrible defense because the PGA Tour is, it's not a startup. Uh, it's been around forever. And making wholesale changes is like turning a battleship. Like it is just going to take time. And in that time, live is going to pluck away some of your most popular and potentially some of your best golfers. So um, what I see in the future for, for the PGA tour, uh, and we're kind of already seeing it is where the fall series, the fall uh, season, which has been going on for eight or 10 years now that that's going to go away. And we're going to see probably like six high dollar, no cut events uh, for the best players as, as an, as an incentive to say, Hey, you know, we can offer kind of similar things. We're seeing purses be increased, but Outside of outside of that, unfortunately, there are really not much defenses that that the PGA Tour can muster up at the moment. Have you watched? Will you continue to watch? Live. I've watched, and uh, I mean, listen. Credit to them. There there are a couple of aspects of the broadcast or of the format that I find at least interesting. Uh, whether they do it well or not, I I'm still TBD. Uh, I do not find the golf very compelling at all. In fact, I've, I've tuned in and seen some of the worst golf I've ever seen on television. And, uh, the courses that they go to are not generally well regarded as, as great courses. So as like a golf purist, that's, that's hard to, to kind of swallow. Um, I, I think just as a golf junkie and someone who wants to be on the pulse, like I'll continue to tune in adjacently, but it's not like when I turn on the PGA tour and watch it for 12 hours a day. It's like, I'll just kind of dip in and dip out. Totally. He is Rick Gemmon, founder of rickrungood.com, host of 300 yards to unknown and the first cut pod on CBS sports. Follow him on Twitter at Rick run good. Rick, it was a pleasure, man. Uh, pumped to get you on. It's a big day in golf following the open championship. You're a Vegas guy. I'm out here. Uh, we got to find a time to play yep. and tee it up uh, as a thank you, but uh, appreciate you, man. And uh, enjoy your week. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Always a blast. Great stuff there from Rick. Uh, love following it again. The Rick Run, uh, rickrungood.com, 300 Yards to Unknown podcast, the first cut pod. Um, nobody out there. A lot, of, a lot of great people covering golf. Rick's certainly chief among them in my book. We've had some great golf guests between him and Cam Rogers. Both those guys do such a fine job. Uh, let's get to an AFC South preview. Forgot to tease this at the top of the show, but we're going to continue our division by division futures look and futures preview in the betting markets for each division in the NFL. We've now covered the entire NFC. We wrapped that up last Thursday with Tim Murray of VEASAN. We're going to start with the AFC South. 
you could argue one of the least intriguing divisions in the league, if not the least intriguing division. Uh, and I guess it sort of depends how you feel about where the Jaguars are going in Trevor Lawrence's second season when determining uh, how much investment you're going to put into this division. Let's just run through what the market says. We'll go through some of the roster changes and I will give you my favorite pick uh, for the futures market in the AFC South. Win totals, the Colts are at 10, the Titans are at nine and a half, the Jags are at six and a half, the Texans are at four and a half. The odds to win the AFC South, win the division, Colts at minus 125, Titans at plus 150, and then both uh, the Jags and Texans at long odds, seven to one for the Jags, and then the Texans at 25 to one. Odds to win the AFC, Colts at 12 to one, Titans 15, Jags 50, Texans 100. The odds to win the Super Bowl, the Colts are at 25, Titans at 30, Jags at 100, and the Texans at 250. Let's start with the Colts, the favorites looking to retake the AFC crown, AFC South crown from the Titans. They had a wonderful offseason. They swap out Carson Wentz for Matt Ryan. They get Yannick Ngakwe. They sign Stefan Gilmore in free agency. T.Y. Hilton gone, still a free agent, as is Julio Jones, interesting enough. But I am a huge Michael Pittman fan. A guy who had 1,000 yards in 2021. I think he's going to be a household name following this season with Matt Ryan at quarterback. And of course, Jonathan Taylor, the engine that moves that offense. This is a really good team. Is a reason why they're the favorite. Um, and they are my best bet in this division. At minus 125, that's not a whole lot of juice for a team I think is far and away the best roster in this division. Uh, the defense, again, the ad in Gawkway, got Darius Leonard at linebacker, uh, DeForest Buckner on defensive line. Um, they are loaded. Offensive line is tremendous, as we know, led by Quentin Nelson. They're the best team in this division. My issue with betting them anything beyond winning the AFC South is there are so many good teams in the AFC. Where you look at the, if they were in the NFC, I'd say bet them to win the NFC and, and take that value. Where I look at the same thing sort of with the Eagles. I mean, they only have to be better than a couple of teams in order to get there. Where you look at the AFC, and I, you could sell me on 10 teams to win the AFC. You've got everybody in the AFC West. You've got the Bills. The Patriots were a playoff team last year. The Colts are there. No, I'm forgetting teams. Uh, in the North, you've got um, the Ravens are there. If Deshaun Watson isn't suspended, the Browns are there. There are so many different teams. The Bengals, obviously, win the Super Bowl last year. How could I forget? So that's my issue with betting on Matt Ryan at this stage of his career. I, I believe that he won't make the big mistake, the big mistakes that Carson Wentz made at the end of games last year, the head-scratching plays where you're just like, if you just don't do that, you win. But, I mean, let me look up. Matt Ryan's a, with 37 now, I don't know. I just don't know if I can sell myself on him being leaps and bounds better than Carson Wentz. But I do love them to win the division. And minus 125, that's a baseball game. I mean, that's what you're betting on a baseball game week in, week out, or a football. I mean, 25 cents of juice ain't all that much. Um, and so I'm happy to bet the Colts to win this division. Titans had a weird offseason. I don't think they really got any better. They trade A.J. Brown. Uh, to the Eagles. They signed Robert Woods, but he's coming off an ACL tear. So who knows 
uh, if and when he'll be back. He, he will be back, so not an if, but a when thing. When will he be back, and what will he look like coming off that ACL tear? Uh, Traylon Burks uh, from Arkansas is their first-round pick to replace A.J. Brown. He also drafted Malik Willis in the third, who I, I love that pick. He's just not going to help them win games this year. Um, I, I just don't know what about them got better this offseason. Of course, Derrick Henry will still be the focal point offensively. The defense will be good enough. They were able to keep Harold Landry around with the big deal this offseason, so that was big for them. Really something, they, they had to keep him. You can't let him walk. I just thought it was a very pedestrian offseason from the Titans that I have no desire to put uh, any money on them in the futures market. Um, the Jags, they won four games last year. Uh, their, their number is at six and a half this year. And to me, that all depends on how many wins you think Doug Peterson's worth. And that, that could be three. That could be three alone. And regardless of what happened to the roster, he gets them to seven by himself. Getting Trevor Lawrence where he needs to be in year two of his progression as an NFL quarterback and potential franchise quarterback, a hopeful franchise quarterback, as the 1-1. The issue is that Trayvon Walker, the first overall pick this year, I don't know. This guy's only started one season. At Georgia, he's about as much of a projection for a first overall pick as we've ever seen. As Ben Solak of The Ringer pointed out, no first round pick, sorry, first overall pick since the AFL-NFL merger has ever only started for one year in college. And now Trayvon Walker is the first. The measurables, height, weight, speed, strength, all of that stuff is incredible, but the tape and the on-field production in college was not as dominant as you're accustomed to seeing from a first overall pick. They also gave Christian Kirk $18 million a year. I have a hard time betting on a team that gives Christian Kirk $18 million a year. But if you believe in Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence in year two, their roster got enough better as Travis Etienne, their first-round pick from a year ago, coming back, comes back from injury. Maybe they get to seven. I don't know if I'm counting on it, though. Uh, finishing up with the Texans, uh, they got you know three first-round picks for Deshaun Watson, but they are in full rebuild mode, and I, I four-and-a-half wins. I don't really want to bet the under. I don't really want to bet the over. Um, I'm just staying away. But Davis Mills, arguably the best rookie season of any rookie quarterback last year. Um, and so eyes on him, and maybe, he, maybe you can sell yourself on four-and-a-half. But again, between this division and the conference at large, it's going to be really hard to pinpoint wins for these teams. And I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to bet on the Texans to overachieve. So my best bet, take the Colts, take the chalk at minus 125. It's not, uh, it's not enough juice to stray me away from that pick. I'm happy to take a team that I think one got better and two um, is the best team in the division. So um, easy pick for me. Let's get to a promo and a winning pick and get out of here. Bet 50 to win 200. That promo rolls on. New WinBet users can receive $200 in free bets after they make their first qualifying deposit and place their first bet on WinBet. Once that bet is settled, you'll receive four installments of $50 free bets. Go to winbet.com or download the WinBet app for official rules and details. Winning pick time, small loss just on the juice here this uh, this month, minus 0.4 units, but I am two and two, looking to win a third straight. And well, we're, we're fitting here. We're, we're swinging for the fences, if you will in the Home Run Derby. Get it? Stupid joke. 
Uh, Julio Rodriguez, of course, he was 10 to 1 on Sunday evening. That's been down, that's that's been moved down to plus 850. Eight and a half to one, Julio, Julio Rodriguez to win uh, the home run derby on Monday evening in Los Angeles at Dodger Stadium. He's going to be going up against Corey Seager, former Dodger, coming back home to L.A. Uh, in the first round. To me, he's young, young, the young buck, easy power. Uh, his barrel rate is up there with every single player in Major League Baseball. He, he practiced, uh, he did a full round with the pitcher he's going to be using uh, from Seattle's coaching staff. And I, it wasn't official, but they said 37 bombs in that one round. Now, of course, the fans, the pressure, the lights, the cameras, action. But as we've seen from Julio this first half of the season, after having years as being touted as the savior of the Mariners franchise and one of the stars and faces potentially of Major League Baseball, he's coming at 21 years old and set the league on fire, which is why he's an all-star. Uh, and again, as a rookie at age 21, 16 bombs in the first half. I'm picking him. Hometown pick, certainly, but I think Julio at eight and a half to one has every chance to win it as anybody else. He will have to get through, of course, the machine that is Pete Alonzo, who's looking to win his third straight. That's going to do it for this episode of the show. Big thanks to all of you who came on and listened and watched, however you listened and watched, whether you're on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, appreciate Rick Gemmon, our uh, guest here today. RickRunGood.com is his website. 300 Yards to Unknown is his podcast, as well as the First Cut Pod on CBS Sports. Follow him on Twitter, at RickRunGood. Uh, hope you enjoy the All-Star festivities. Home Run Derby on Monday. All-Star game on Tuesday. Looking for a big performance from my guy, Julio Rodriguez. We'll see you Thursday, right here on Bet to Win.